Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Good morning, everybody. How are you? We're all just Tom Terrific. Uh, And also joining us, David Moore. Hi, David. We got upbeat, Evan, today. That's always a pleasure. You know, it is a pleasure. It's so rare. And it's just like a... It's we just don't like, always get upbeat, Evan. No, it's like a 70-degree day, uh, day in July. You know? Believe me, I'm forcing it right now with you people. <laughs> uh, you like people, that's always you a good... You Anyone who uses the phrase, you people. And I think we do know of some people who have done that in the past. Oh, I, did, yeah. I will just tell you that I ran into um, uh, our good friend, Brett Kelly, uh, cameraman for CBS oh, yeah. last night at, the, uh, at Globe Life Field who is a listener, and he had nice things to say about the podcast. He also asked me if I wear a titanium cup when I'm doing this because of the constant kicking <laughs> in the testicles that you people deliver to me. So that's why it's you people. That's why I'm faking the happiness. Um, and let's get on with the show. I love Brett Kelly. He's a great guy. Uh, Calls it like he sees it. Oh, yeah. Poor Evan. Oh, my gosh. I tell you what, I'm going to try to be nicer to Evan, I guess. I've also, and I've also got. Brett tells me he loves it when we kick Evan in the crotch. So (laughs) I think he's playing all three sides. And, And I've also got, guys, I've also got a lot of stuff to get to today because after I get off the call, I've got to order my mother some prune juice to be delivered and make her an appointment with the urologist. Life is just great. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Evan, that's, uh, that's exciting. That's exciting day you got lined up for yourself. Yes, we're, it is. Yes, we're yes, glad yes, for yes. that. So we're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about uh, the Rangers. We're going to talk about why Evan Grant doesn't like Martin Perez. Um, what, why is that? Uh, well, I'm just, fascinated by this because the guy's the best didn't he in baseball. just do something no pitcher has done for a month and what, 40 years or something? Yeah, best best pitcher in baseball. Uh, and yeah, a great guy and a great guy, too. Uh, just a super guy. I love Martin Perez. I, why Evan doesn't like him? I just don't know. I don't get this, it. This is nuts. I, I, <laughs> I've always liked Martin Perez. I've, I've, I've said on many occasions this year, that Martin Perez is pitching well and that he has been the absolute joy to watch on this pitching staff. I do think that the biggest difference between Martin Perez now and Martin Perez in the past is not so much that he is a different pitcher, but I think he's a different person. Um, the level of self-awareness and, and things that he has learned along the way, um, I think he's really employing those. I, I'm always leery of calling a guy an ace, particularly a guy who has not pitched like an ace throughout his career but what he has done and what I've tried to say is he's had a 10-year big league career at this point. That's a solid case of player development, a solid big league career. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, Kevin, to your point, you know, I don't know if you can – this would be a great data dive to do at some point in time, but you've made the point, and it's a good narrative point, that left-handers take longer to develop. I'd love to see the number of lefties that, like, after 100 career starts – like what their numbers are versus, versus right-handers. Because this does seem to be a case the, of a guy who has learned himself and gotten better as he's gotten older. Yeah, Ke- I think Kevin the- will compile those numbers and have them for us on next week's podcast. Kevin, Abs- go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, I think the thing about – my point about Martin, and of course we just give Evan a hard time about that because he was slow to come around on Martin. He said that I, we've seen this before. Of course, when we saw it before – 
he blew out his elbow and needed Tommy John. So I'm not, I'm not holding that against him. Uh, that was on one of the occasions. He has done it uh, other times as well. Uh, the, the one thing about Martin, though, and the reason why I uh, kind of hold out some hope for him here is that, you know, they expected him to be great when they signed him. You know, he was one of their top five prospects for a number of years. And, and so it's not like, oh, this was just some guy who was meandering around baseball for 10 years, and then all of a sudden he turned into a really good pitcher. Uh, there, that potential was always there with Martin. And as you said, he's, he's, he's grown up, basically, is what's happened. And uh, he's listened to the right people, and they've helped him out. And that has made him into a different pitcher. He is not the same pitcher he was before. Uh, he's much more aggressive, and, and he's using all the, all the tools that he has in his, in his bag, and, and it's all working out really well for him. And he's, you know, the, the, the thing that you notice is, is in his body language. You know, it used to be, you know, the bill of his cap would go up, and then he'd start, you know, rubbing that ball. He'd be kneading that ball just like he was trying to crush it. And you could just tell, oh, it's, it's all disappearing for him right here. And it's just not happening anymore, you know. I notice he's chewing, chewing a lot more gum. I don't know if that's helping him or not. Uh, but uh, he just seems to have such great command right now. So this brings me to my question now, Evan. So the Rangers are at 500. Um, I do not think that the Rangers are a contender, uh, basically because beyond Martin Perez and a little bit of Dane Dunning and a little bit of John Gray, they're and you know occasional uh, Taylor Hearn, they're not showing much in starting pitching. And an uh, occasional Glenn Otto. An occasional Glenn Otto. I mean, these guys have all had their moments. I will say, I think I like Glenn Otto's makeup better than what I'm seeing on the field. He just seems like a really smart kid, really – of course, he went to Rice. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but he, he just Here's seems – Houston bias coming out again. It's well, unbelievable. Well, if you can find a university in this state that matches up with Rice, I, I, will, I will grant you that. Can you? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, yeah. you can't. You cannot yeah. find a university that matches up with Rice in this state. Uh, so at any rate, uh, these guys all have their moments, uh, and obviously Martin's having a lot more than anybody else. But it's it doesn't feel like enough, you know, that they could make a real run, even with the fourteen uh, team playoff format. Well, it's so, a twelve team playoff, twelve twelve team playoff uh, for, format. But the thing is, here is if so. That being the case. I know there's a lot of people out there who would say, oh, my gosh, this is just so great for the Rangers. Martin Perez is pitching really well. Trade him while he's hot. You know, get rid of him. He's on that one-year deal. It would be very attractive to people. So what do you say to that? Evan? Listen, I think, you, I, I think, first of all, the Rangers have the sporting scene here for the next two months, right? There's, right? there's nothing else going on. They have the ability to make the summer kind of cool. And we will see what happens. Their, their June schedule is very attractive for them. July there is a lot more split, but whether they're buyers or sellers at the deadline, I think is still to be determined. And I would think that if I lean any way for the Rangers at this point, they're more likely to be buyers than they are sellers. And only because of this, Kevin, this team needs to show improvement off of last year. They've got a little bit of momentum going in that direction right now. So if you can, improve this club without giving up much um, and hold on to a guy who's having a special year, I think there's probably more value in that than trading Martin as a rental for two months to somebody and what you would get in return. I also, look, with six playoff teams in, in in each league, everything is up in the air. 
Right now, the, the Rangers are two games out of the last playoff spot behind the Los Angeles Angels. Um, does this pitching, does the starting rotation tell me that the Rangers are a long-term contender? Probably not. I, I expect that at some point in time, Martin's going to regress at least a little bit as the season goes on. But you would hope John Gray improves a little bit. You would also hope that Glenn Otto and Taylor Hearn, as they continue to develop, become a little bit more reliable. And so I think there's, there's there's still a lot to be determined there. What is significant is Jose Leclerc is on a rehab assignment right now. Jonathan Hernandez should follow in a week. If the Rangers, what I, my point being, if the Rangers get adequate starting pitching in June and July, they could have the two biggest relief acquisitions in all of baseball join their bullpen and have a really dominant bullpen down the stretch. So, um, Maybe there are some surprises in store for the Rangers. So you're not saying they should trade for Juan Soto? Listen, if they can trade for Juan Soto, they absolutely should, and they would. I, I would. I would encourage them uh, to be willing to give up a lot of depth. But I don't think that Juan Soto trade talk is realistic. No. How old is Juan Soto anyway? I don't even know. Who, by the way, the Nationals hitter who is supposed to have been on the training block, although the Nationals uh, deny that. Of course, that's what you're supposed to do. You don't want to lose that kind of leverage uh, and say that. He is the best hitter in baseball. Uh, I think he's 22 now. Is that all he is? Yeah. I, think he, I thought he was a little older than that. That's something to be, 23. To be the best hitter in baseball in your, your 22. It's like the Luka Doncic of uh, baseball. Uh, yeah, that's a remarkable thing that the he's Nationals. 23, he's 23. I'm sorry. 23. Wow. Yeah, I would give up almost anything for that to get a guy who's that kind of hitter and that young. Uh, if you could sign him to a big deal, uh, the Rangers might, uh, would be interested in that if they, if they could, but I can't imagine what all the Nationals would want for that. Uh, that would be a lot. So anyway, uh, moving along from that, I want to talk about uh, one of the big signings they did make uh, and a guy who did cost them a lot of money, and that's Corey Seager, who uh, was off to a, a, a kind of a hot start, and then he really slowed down. Uh, there was not much power showing there, and uh, and there were people questioning whether, you know, people were even saying, well, yeah, he commanded a lot of money, but he was not a um, big power guy. Well, at this point, uh, Corey Seager has 11 home runs, nine of which were struck at Globe Life Field. Uh, I believe this is the most home runs he's ever had this early in a season in his career. His his previous highs were what, Evan, 26? 26 and 22 in his first two full seasons in the big leagues. Yeah, at this rate, he's on a, he's on a pace for 30-something home runs, uh, which – of course, the Rangers would surely take. That was about, oh, I don't know, 30 more than uh, uh, Connor Falefa uh, hit uh, in any season, maybe in the entire time he was uh, a Ranger. Um, so let me ask you this about that. Is, uh, is Corey Seager already showing that he was worth the money? Well, I, I mean, I, I I think that neither one of these guys has played, uh, neither Seager nor Simeon has played to their capabilities yet. I, I think Seager has obviously displayed the power the Rangers would like to see. Um, I think, as you said, he's been a little bit hot and cold. I think the good thing 
I know this is a roundabout way of answering the question. I think the, the optimistic thing for the Rangers is they got back to 500, and I can't say that these two guys, they're two big signees, have at any point in time really gotten scorching hot. And so I think the best is still to come for them if they stay healthy. Uh, are they worth the, the, the contracts? It's just it's so hard for me to say 48 games into you know seven- and ten-year deals. I, I think that it bodes really well for the offensive element of Corey Seager's game, how much he likes hitting here. And he's very cognizant and aware that he has great numbers in this ballpark. You know, we, we recall how he torched the playoffs in 2020 um, when this was basically his home park. He said last night how much he likes the hitting backdrop here and that it do, he does feel like it's a factor. So that's got to be an optimistic thing. I think that when the Rangers signed him, there was some, there was, there was lots of conversation. Look, this guy's not going to finish out ten years as as a shortstop, so he's probably going to play somewhere else before this is all over. But offensively, you've got to feel really good about the ability to hit for power in this ballpark uh, long term for him. I got to believe that the hitting aspect, you know, he's not a great shortstop, never was, uh, nope. just an average shortstop at best. Um, but the fact that if he's He's going to hit home runs like this. I think the Rangers are going to feel awfully good about that signing. Yeah, and, and it, he ballpark. makes it very clear that this may be a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but you certainly can hit home runs here. Absolutely. Uh, and a good message for everybody else coming along. All right, that's going to do it for our, our Rangers segment of the podcast. Uh, we want to move over now to the Mavericks, um, who just completed their season uh, while I was in New York. That was nice of them to get that wrapped up. I appreciate that. Um, the uh, – uh, the end came uh, kind of a, a little bit of a fizzle there uh, at in San Francisco. Not so good in, the, in uh, that game six. What game six? Game five. Yeah. Five. Excuse me. Game five. Yeah. Um, they did manage to at least avoid being swept, which that was good. Um, so, David, let me ask you this: um, thumbs up or thumbs down on the Mavericks season? Well, they went farther than they anticipated or certainly anyone outside of the organization. So that was a a successful run. Um, You know, I I think this team will look back into that second half of game two when the 19-point lead they had on the road uh, went away much too quickly. And uh, that's when, to me, that was their introduction to how far away they are. And, you know, I, I know a lot of times... Uh, people go, oh, well, they're just they're three three wins short of being an NBA Finals team. I don't think that's how you look at it, and I don't think that's how the organization's looking at it. Um, you know, you're looking at having home court all the way through, which is going to be more wins during the regular season. Uh, and, and so, this is really a team. When you look at the landscape in the West as well, uh, yes, it's a team on the rise. But there's no assurance that these steps are going to continue to go up. Uh, and, you know, next year, uh, the, the Lakers and the Clippers, both L.A. teams, are going to be back in this in a way they weren't this past year. Um, you know, the Pelicans showed some things interesting, you know, appeared good during the end. Memphis, uh, Golden State, who was at the bottom of the conference, has now come back on the top now that they're healthy. Uh, it, it's going to be much more difficult for them to get back to this point next year, which places even more of an emphasis on on which pieces have you identified to keep in place for the continuity 
but also acknowledging we need to supplement though that nucleus uh, if we're going to get back to where we were this past year. So let's look at that, uh, talking about pieces, of course, uh, a, a piece that became a much larger factor uh, in the uh, Mavericks run uh, through the playoffs was, of course, Jalen Brunson, who uh, was allowed to run off into the end of his contract, which is a mistake. Uh, I think that the Mavericks felt like they made a decision going into last season that of the two guys, they'd rather have Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, and maybe at that point it was a good decision. I don't know. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, a great defender, the best defender on the team probably, although Reggie Bullock really made a case for himself in the playoffs. Um, but now I don't know that, that that's not looking so good, uh, that decision, and they're, it's going to cost them a lot more. They probably could have gotten uh, Jalen Brunson for something like $55 million, uh, if they had done that before this season. Now he's going to probably cost them somewhere around 80 to $90 million. Um, and that's going to heat up in a lot of what they're trying to do. So, first of all, let me ask this for both of you guys. Should the Mavs uh, re-sign Jalen Brunson? And I'll start with you, Evan. Well, I I guess my question, I'd, I'd have to answer a question with a question, Kevin, and my question is, if you re-sign Jalen Brunson, and my NBA lack of economic understanding here is going to show – but if you re-sign Jalen Brunson, is that going to take you out of the mix for what you what you need to add to this team, which is somebody with more of an inside presence and, and, and ability to get some rebounds? Yeah, if you don't do anything else, that that does it. Uh, you're, you're you're pretty much exhausted. Then you're done, that, right? And yeah. so you haven't you haven't improved this team. So I, I I think look what showed up to me in the Golden State series. Um, beyond the, the playoff experience that the Warriors had, was just how many good looks the Warriors got at the basket when they needed it, how many second-chance shots and points they got when they needed it, and how often when the Mavericks went cold, they didn't get an opportunity to extend the possession because the ball clanked off the rim and then it was going down the other way. So I, I've got to figure out a way. I, I would like to keep Jalen Brunson based on the way he played down the stretch, but I've got to figure out a way that I can also add some kind of power presence inside. David? Yeah, I mean, what you have is after Luka, your best players are all perimeter players. And, you know, one area where they do get better in theory is Hardaway coming back and being part of the rotation. But now you have Brunson, Hardaway, and Dinwiddie, uh, you know, and, and so you have some duplication there. Um when you look at the landscape of big men right now at this moment that are available, you know, sometimes it's about being a little patient. Uh, and, and I know it, that's always a fine line. You can be too patient and look up two years later and go, well, we should have made our move and didn't. Um, but I think they have duplication there. Bring Brunson back. And then out of that group, determine as you go forward, one of those guys as part of a deal to get your big man. I, I, I think in season you're talking about an yeah, in season. Yeah, deal? yeah. I, I think they're going to have to piece together for, from what there is out there. Look, they're going to be they're already going to be paying the luxury tax. Uh, they're going to go over when they keep Brunson. Uh, it's going to limit them, but there are still some veterans out there, uh, or, or maybe a young guy who hasn't developed yet, like a Mobamba. Uh, who you could do something with, but but you want a, a a physical, athletic body that gives you some presence down in there. That that is clearly their most glaring uh, deficiency. Um, 
I'm still thinking they may have to address it from a stopgap approach at the moment versus going all in the way they really need to do to address the position. Yeah, I I think that um, I'm looking at certain things here, like uh, the let's take the contract that uh, Davis Bertans has, uh, which runs through he's got three years left on it. And that's an average of about sixteen five for those each of those three years. That's a lot of money for a guy who comes off the bench, might hit three or four threes for you, and then doesn't really do anything else. Uh, so, uh, but that man, was, that drive along the baseline in Game Four was a beauty. Yeah, I know you really loved that. That got that went a long way for you. I, I like that. Um, you know. There was a two-part aspect of the trade that the Mavericks made at midseason where they unloaded Chris Stapps Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Davis Bertans. Um, One was to get another creator on the floor because they only had two. You know, I I don't know why that didn't really occur to me before. It was just so obvious afterwards that there's, there's really nobody else on the team that can create his own shot. I mean, he, we, we've talked about uh, Timmy Hardaway. He's really a spot-up shooter, too. So when he comes back, you know, you're, you're just having one more of those guys uh, now. And and I, I would have to say, to to your point, so well, I, let me finish this one first. Uh, so what they're doing was they're, they're having, um, uh, and by having H-A-L-V-I-N-G, uh, Porzingis' contract uh, and making it, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie gets half of that, and uh, Mark Bertans gets the other half. So that makes it easier to trade one of those guys than it is to trade a $35 million contract, obviously. Um, so uh, it's time for Nico Harrison to get a little creative here. If that requires them to make a deal in the offseason, if that requires a, a deal during the season, as David said, I think that that's certainly something to consider as well, um, because at that point, you might have a better sense of how the, the chemistry works with Hardaway back in the mix. Uh, that is a another guy that, uh, as I said, I, I you know when you've only got three guys who are basically dribbling the ball, and everybody else is just you know standing and waiting for somebody to throw them the ball so they can put up a shot. It is a very unique mixture here, and I know Tim Kalashar, our old pal, brought this up the other day talking about. Um, was this really a viable approach uh, to, to trying to win a championship, to have one of the best players in the game and then a bunch of role players all around him, most of whom are going to uh, just throw, throwing up threes? Um, I don't know. It's a great question. Uh, it, it, you know, five years from now, maybe every team in, in the NBA plays like the Mavericks are playing right now. I don't know. I mean, the, obviously the, the game has already evolved along those lines. The Mavericks are not, uh, you know, they're not on the, the vanguard of something here. Uh, everybody's uh, gone to this type of approach somewhat. The Mavericks are just buying into it more than most teams are. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a good question about whether they can sustain this kind of, kind of thing. You know, we, we talked about the fact that, well, they're, they're just getting killed. And, uh, but when they win and when they won games in the playoffs – they were not getting killed on the boards for the most part. They were, you know, they were hanging in there at least pretty close. And that's a remarkable thing when you consider that they did not have a, a, a really good inside player. You know, uh, Dwight Powell is at $11 million, uh, way overpaid for what he's doing for the Mavericks these days. Uh, and uh, Maxi Cleaver's not really that type of player either. Uh, he's, he's a better they, player than Dwight Powell. 
they've got to find a role player that they can bring in. And oh, no, that, no that question can make about that. Rotation, who can help them control the, the boards a little bit better. But see, that's, that's I mean, what I, I really show. sound like yeah. 1980s Evan, but you still got to have some element of that. Well, well no, it's he, about playing different styles. You know, you can't get through to the NBA Finals without being able to play different styles of ball. And they can play one style as well or better than just about every team out there. But you saw what Golden State did to them. And Golden State was saying, we won't take as many threes as we normally do. We'll just cut. Uh, we'll cut more. We'll attack them because they have no one to, to hold up inside. And they can't stay with this rebound, you know, on, on the rebounding end. So so the, the Warriors played a little bit different style in, in the finals. And you saw what it did to the, the conference finals. And you saw what it did to Dallas. Yeah, the Mavs are, are not nearly as versatile offensively. I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith has, has no game to the basket. You know, he has no post-up game. He has no game just dribbling to the basket. Uh, and and trying to make a shot, uh, and 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 that's and, and that's part of the problem. Now, Evan, I had a lot of people writing to me saying, "Why can't Bobby get off the bench? Why can't he do it well?" Because that that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to draw the other center out. They're trying to play five out all the time. There are guys you can get, you know. And I brought up this point before. Bobby Portis is the kind to me is exactly the kind of center the Mavericks should want. He's a guy who's very active. He's a guy who can hit a three. He's a guy who can drive to the basket, uh, and he and he he averaged nine rebounds a game for the Bucks this year. That's pretty good. Uh, so it, to me, and he is a free agent now. They're not going to be able to sign him. They would have to make a deal of some kind to be able to even get in the market for that. Uh, but that's the kind of player they need. Is a guy who won't cost you thirty million dollars. Is a guy you can get for twelve or thirteen million a year, and that is certainly worth putting into this mix and seeing what it does. It, it would allow them to do what they want to do and be a better team inside as well and a more versatile team. Yeah, you need a little bit more athletic version of Boban than, than Boban is. You need somebody who can move to the basket a little bit and, and kind of slash in there and, and be active when the ball is, is kind Pretty of – Pretty much there. all of us are a little more active than Boban is, but that's – Listen, all. I'm not going <laughs> to – I have a special place in my heart for Boban, and I think that there should be a roster exception for him going forward. But uh, I, I get it. Yeah, and I know we need to move on here. But just just the crucial nature of size inside. We talked about the defensive side, which is obvious, but it's also an offense because what what really stymied the Mavs' offense in this series was when Golden State went to the zone defense. Now, part of the reason they went to the zone was to cover the outside, but one way to attack that is use some post players inside. Well. Jalen Brunson is one of their better post players, but he doesn't have the size and you get swallowed up in his zone. So that's that's another reason from an offensive perspective, they need some size because when and more teams are going to throw a zone at the Mavericks because they saw what it did to them, uh, what Golden State did to them at stages of the game. And Dallas needs to be able to counter with some size inside and make teams pay when they do that. No question about it. So what they got to do is get Jalen Brunson back and a really good inside player, and then everything will be great. And they're set. And they're set. Way to go. Here we go. And then then re-sign Doncic. Yeah, that would be good, too, at some point. All right, that's going to do it for the Mavs segment of our podcast. Uh, Evan's going to bow out for us now because he's got things to do, like buying prune juice. Uh, So uh, we're going to let him 
I'm buying so much prune juice these days that I'm like on the frequent buyer program from Sunsweet. I think I'm going to get it. We may get a Sunsweet sponsorship for the uh, yard sign. That'd be great. That'd be right up our alley, too. Uh, That'd be super. (laughs) All right. Well, Evan, we'll see you then next week. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. All right. All right. See you. All right, David. That leaves just me and you to talk about the Cowboys now and what's going on out there. So what's the schedule, first of all, uh, at this point for the Cowboys? They, uh, this is the uh, second week of OTA starts uh, today, Wednesday, out at the Star. Uh, There'll be one more week after that. And then uh, mid-June will be the mini camp, three-day mini camp. And then they will break until going back to Oxnard in late July. So, um, yeah, you know, this is the stage where it's uh, some seven-on-seven, some drill work, uh, still no contact, but but they, they push the edge on this, too. I mean, they it's still as physical as they can get out there. Uh, you know, the union will review the tapes to see if it's too physical, <laughs> which uh, when the union reviewed those tapes last year, they determined that uh, Mike McCarthy needed to pay a fine, and they lost an OTA day. Uh, because they pushed it a little too much. Uh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, they've gone right to the edge from what we saw last week. But, uh, you know, we get to see one practice a week, and that will be tomorrow this week. Um, And, and, you know, again, you can – there are things to spot on on both sides of the ball. You can't get a real good feel for where things are. You just see – you know, some guys are in different positions. They're they're working on versatility. Uh, there are certain things you can't see uh, in these OTAs, and that's really the work in the trenches. You know, the offensive and defensive line, when you're not in pads, uh, it's just about positioning and, and uh, you know, breaking out of stance. So it's not, uh, it's not the physical nature that you see in there. So I don't think you can get much of a read down there. But, but it is interesting to look at uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Um, completely different look, first of all. Uh, the, Got himself the dreads, a haircut. Yeah, the dreads that he has uh, grown since coming into the league uh, nine years ago are now gone. Uh, Let's say 30 hit Demarcus Lawrence a little hard. He decided uh, (laughs) symbolically it was uh, time for a new look, to change his look, uh, to kind of change his approach. This is the healthiest he's been in the offseason in in five years, as he said. Uh, You know, he looks sleeker. He's lost a little bit of weight. Uh, not having the dreads, his his face doesn't look, you know, his face yeah. looks slimmer as well, I think. Um, and he was talking about, uh, you know, he's never been shy about stating his goals. And he said uh, part of this season is about reclaiming his status as the uh, premier sat, you know, pass rusher on this team. And he gave a shout out to Micah Parsons for that title last year, uh, but but made it clear that he was just not going to see that title to uh, Micah Parsons going into Parsons' second season. Well, first of all, I'd like to t- say to uh, Demarcus, good luck with that, uh, trying to hold <laughs> off Micah Parsons. Um, and then uh, I, I would say also that if 30 hit him hard, wait till he doubles that number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's like a head-on collision. Uh, at, at any rate, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Demarcus Lawrence. I, I think he, he even with his numbers aren't very big, when he had just three and a half sacks last year, um, he is the best overall uh, defensive lineman on that team, and that is no small thing 
when the defensive line hasn't been uh, very good or, or certainly not dominant uh, and in any fashion for, for quite a while. Um, he's kind of been a, a lone wolf out there. You, you always get a maximum effort for him as well. Uh, I think that if fans like nothing else about DeMarcus, it would be that, A, he plays so hard all the time, uh, never takes any downs off, and, and B, he's so accountable, you know, it, there, there is no, you know, after the games, whatever, there's never any, well, excuses being made. If they didn't play well, he says they didn't play well. Uh, if he didn't play well, he says he didn't play well. The defense doesn't do well. So I, 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 I kind of pull from DeMarcus for all those things um, because I, I feel like he's the kind of guy you can rely on and have some faith in. Let's talk a little bit about this defense, uh, David, and, uh, and Dan Quinn's second year. Uh, such a remarkable turnaround for it last year. And, of course, it did help a little bit having a guy like uh, Micah Parsons come in, uh, just a, like a comet uh, across the uh, galaxy here. He's unbelievable. Um, and to get that kind of play from him, uh, which was just shocking, uh, certainly helped things. But uh, could we expect uh, – uh, how much better can they get? I mean, can can they get a lot better in Dan Quinn's second year? Uh, is should it be marginally better? What should we? What should be the best hope for Cowboys fans? Well, you would think they would improve, and everyone's operating under the assumption that there will be improvement uh, the second year in a system. Uh, and the improvement was so dramatic last year. Uh, the expectation is to certainly keep that going forward. You know, that being said, will they force as many turnovers as they had last year? Um, you know, Trayvon Diggs had the most interceptions in the NFL in 40 years. Is he yeah. is he alone going to duplicate that number? Uh, statistically, I, I think everything would tell you that's not going to happen. Now, you can make up for it over the, you know, the, the course of the roster, but e- even that's going to be hard to do. So I, I think uh, – they may not force as many turnovers, but that doesn't mean they can't be a better defense, right? Uh, they gave up a lot of big plays last year. The, the, the risk-reward ratio uh, stung them some last year. They were forcing more turnovers, but I thought they gave up more big plays. Uh, that's an area where they can be better. Um, you know, I think they can be better in the pass rush. Uh, it was so Micah Parsons uh, focus last year. If he didn't get there, uh, it was much spottier on, on their ability to do that. So um, I, I think they should be better, and the expectation is to be better this year. But, you know, I found this very interesting. Um, I was talking to Leighton Vander Esch uh, the other day, and, and, and some of the other players had mentioned this, didn't give the specific anecdote. But uh, Leighton was saying when they came back for, you know, OTAs last week, and, and Dan Quinn was talking about to them. And uh, this topic came up about improving and getting better in the second year of Dan Quinn's program. And that's kind of a, a narrative or a theme out there. And he said, look, we are going to do that. Those are our expectations. But how many of you play golf? And, and most of the guys play golf. And I go, okay, well, let's look at that. Uh, look at last year's maybe we went from a golfer who, was in, who shot in hundreds and got it down to 85. That's a dramatic jump. You're much, you're much better. But now we're talking about going 85 to shooting even par. That's, even though it's the same number of strokes, that's a much more difficult jump to make, isn't it? And yeah. that's where we are in developing this defense. We're going to have to, to bore down and dig deeper into the techniques, into the fundamentals, into, uh, you know, 
you know, the, the hand placement, everything we're talking about, assignments. Uh, we've really got to bore deep down on that in order to show that same sort of improvement this year, because the improvement you showed last year is going to be much more difficult to show this year. And it won't always show up statistically the way it did last year. And so, I, I you know, Dan Quinn knows how to talk to this team. That clearly resonated with them. And, and I think it hit on the key issue. And, and you know, it, it, it goes to what we're talking about here. They should be better defensively when you saw such dramatic strides in the first year under the system. But it's not a given, and it shouldn't be taken for granted that they will. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, because we talk about the what Trayvon Diggs did in his second year and what Micah Parsons did in his first uh, and the, the improvements those guys made, is there somebody out there, it doesn't have to be anybody from this rookie class, it could have been, you know, Digzua for that matter, or somebody uh, like that. Is there somebody you think that is ready to step up and make a big impact on the defense this year? Well, I thought, you know, I thought – Oso Odigizua had a very had a, an outstanding rookie season. It was certainly in the shadows of Micah Parsons, who was phenomenal. Uh, but I thought he played really well, especially early. I, I think you saw the, the the number of games for an interior guy kind of wear on him a little bit as the season went along. Uh, supposedly, he's been spectacular in, in the offseason program, has added bulk. Uh, he always had that quickness. Uh, he already had the, uh, you know, the, the wrestler – uh, mentality and background, which helps them in there. Uh, I think you're going to see a jump from him. And, and people are also talking about Neville Gallimore, uh, who had the biceps, who uh, the, the pec injury last year, who was looking outstanding early in training camp. Uh, this will be his third year now. But, you know, he really was bursting on the scene last year and then hit it was delayed because of the of the uh, the bicep injury. So he's looked very good. And and uh, you know Chauncey Golston, uh, another draft pick they had last year on the edge, who did some good things for them uh, late after he came back from an early injury. Um, people are talking about him this offseason as well. And look, let's throw all of those guys in together, and, and let's come back to how we started this conversation. And that was with Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, I know they're. Uh, a lot of Cowboys fans out there, and there's consternation over, well, this team's not going to be able to replace Randy Gregory uh, and what he gave. And, yes, he only had six sacks, but his impact as far as what offensive coordinators have to account for him was significant. I agree with all of that. I would also argue you missed Demarcus Lawrence for 10 games last year. If you have a healthy Demarcus Lawrence back in the lineup – that more than compensates for the loss of Randy Gregory because Demarcus Lawrence is a better player than Randy Gregory and has a more consistent impact than Randy Gregory. Now, would this defense be better with both of them on the roster going forward? No question. But what Dallas wanted to do this offseason out of out of uh, Demarcus Lawrence, who restructured his contract, uh, Randy Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong – they wanted to bring two of those three defensive ends back. They knew from a cap standpoint they could only handle two of the three. Uh, the top two were Lawrence and Gregory. Uh, they missed out on uh, Gregory when he decided to go to Denver, so they signed uh, Dorrance Armstrong. But but I think I think people overlook the fact that Ar- that Lawrence missed ten games last year, and getting him back will ease the loss uh, of Randy Gregory in my mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much question about that. I mean, obviously, you would like to have them both. Randy's 
at, at times a dominant player. Randy's problem is sustaining that over a, a longer yeah. period of time. He just hasn't he hasn't done it in his career for a lot of reasons that we already know about. Well, uh, and, and me, Randy for his career has sixteen and a half sacks. Demarcus Lawrence had fourteen point five sacks in one season. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of quick hitters here before we get out. Uh, one, is Anthony Brown going to end up being the, uh, the starting corner opposite Trayvon Diggs again? Well, it depends on uh, Kelvin Joseph and where he stands. Um, you know, uh, still to see how the legal system plays out there. He He's out uh, practicing with the team as part of the team. Uh, they want him to assume the starting role opposite of uh, Trayvon Diggs this year. But they wanted that last year, and it and uh, Anthony Brown played at, at the best level he has uh, in his career. This defense would improve in my mind if Anthony Brown is your third or fourth best corner versus your second. Yeah. Uh, but they also show they were pretty good with him as the second corner last year. Um, someone's going to have to beat Anthony Brown out, and at this point, I don't know that anyone is close to doing it. Yeah. Uh, secondly, who are the safeties going to be? Who are the starting safeties be for the Cowboys this fall? Well, uh, Malik Hooker, I, I think is going to be there. Uh, you know, J. Ron Kirsch, the way they used him. Now, he was more in that hybrid role and, and would break down. Uh, and also Donovan Wilson, you know, out of those three guys. Uh, I tell you what, the Marquise Bell, uh, the undrafted rookie free agent out of uh, Florida State who they brought in, had a pick six uh, in the OTAs that we saw the other day. And uh, a lot of people are talking about him, how good he's looked out there. Uh, you know, they, they've had, uh, you look through the years, they have have not invested draft picks, which we have talked uh, ad nauseum uh, about Dallas's refusal to do that. But they've also signed some pretty good undrafted rookie free agents. Uh, Jeff Heath was a very productive player, even though people pointed to what he couldn't do. He was a very productive player for this team for a long time. Uh, Marquise Bell could follow in those footsteps. So I think they actually feel pretty good about where they are. And, you know, Malik Cooker came on pretty strong at the end of last year and is a former first-round pick who's a little farther removed from that uh, major uh, injury and surgery now. Yeah, I, I think I still think that they, uh, and as well as Curse played last year, I do think that they still lack a little bit uh, in uh, uh, an impact player in in yeah. the among the safeties, and I think it, that's what this defense really probably lacks at this point. Other other than maybe the defensive tackles, uh, I just feel like that uh, that this defense is still a work in progress. Uh, still does not have the talent that they have on the offensive side, although it's gotten a lot closer. It uh, got a lot closer last lot. year yeah. with uh, with the play of Parsons and with Diggs. Uh, those two guys became stars last year, and uh, frankly, the Cowboys just didn't have any stars before that. Uh, the closest thing to that was Demarcus Lawrence. There is at least a conversation. Now, you could, you could say before that Demarcus Lawrence was the best player on that defense. Well, last year, you could point at certain times that maybe Gregory was a, a better player. Sometimes you could say that, uh, that that Diggs was. Sometimes you could say that Parsons was. I think that, that obviously Parsons is, is just about uh, taking that mantle. Uh, oh, if, I think you're saying Micah Parsons is the best player on the team. Well, we'll yeah. see how that plays out and he comes back in the second season. Um uh, you know, I know we, we're going to need to wrap this up. It's been interesting. He is he has certainly uh, reveled in his celebrity uh, this offseason, uh, dropping pucks, throwing out first pitches, uh, responding to just about everything on social media. He was just dropping that he puck, can. too. 
Uh, so yeah, I'll be very interested to see what he does in his second and, season. But and he did uh, just. But guys also say he's been very. Yeah, he didn't drop the puck very well. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, has been a, a constant out at the uh, star and is still putting the work behind the scenes from what well, I'm Well, that's told. always the, what you're looking for, right? You're, sure. you're trying to find out when a guy makes a big splash, how does he play when he comes back the next year? Uh, does it go to his head? Does he have the work ethic? Uh, and, and everything that we saw last year was that he did have the work ethic. He did uh, go back in and study. He did get there early. He did all the things that you want a great player to do. You know, that's, that's always the issue uh, in sports is that – your best players better be your hardest workers. They better yep. be your best guys uh, or, or best people uh, and the best leaders because you don't want to have to give a lot of money to somebody who's a jerk uh, or who's lazy. Uh, those are the kind of things that really complicate issues for you uh, because of what the rest of the players see uh, from that and what they get from it. I know there were times in, in – in, in all three of these franchises uh, in the local market, we have seen uh, times where the, the uh, organizations were kind of put at uh, in a bad position because they didn't have the right kind of people that were making all the money. We've seen it on our sports staff, Kevin. We've given some, <laughs> we've given big money to some people who are kind of jerks. One of them just left the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Oh, boy. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. Uh, we'll be back next week again to talk a little bit more about the Cowboys and uh, see if the Mavericks have got anything cooking and, and see if, if Evan's going to warm up to poor old Martin Perez a little bit. I, I think he certainly has earned that kind of a devotion. Well, he will be player of the month by the time we come back, I would think. Pitcher of the month. Pitcher of the month. He'll, he'll, yeah. he'll be the pitcher of the month. There's no question about that. I, it has been a phenomenal run for him. Uh, he's uh, he's a hard guy not to like. I tell you, he's he's made a lot of mistakes in his career um, and probably wasted a lot of his potential. But as as John Daniels uh, told me when I was down in Houston and, and I wrote a column about him, uh, you know what? We, we're we're to blame for a lot of what went wrong with with Martin. We rushed him and didn't do the things with him we should have, and maybe he would have come closer to this earlier in his career had we not done that. It's always nice to have somebody in charge who'll be a little bit accountable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Be sure to come back and join us next time. We love to have you all out there. It's nice to know you're there. See you. Bye.